0: Monsters among us I am your guide Derek Hayes step right up everyone's a winner don't be shy see live before your eyes monsters and wild men specters and spirits and strange things in the skies feast your eyes mind and wallets on this spine tingling collection of thrills chills and mayhem drop your nickel in the slot find yourself a seat in a black and red tent, as things are about to get spooky. And it's in the mountainous state of West Virginia that we begin this evening's festivities with a call from an anonymous source in the state of North Carolina.
1: Hi Derek, this is someone from North Carolina, Um, I'd rather stay anonymous. But I love the podcast. I've been listening for a couple months. And I recently just heard a story that reminded me of something that my grandma and my great-aunt both experienced when they were growing up. So my grandma and her family grew up in West Virginia. And they lived on a mountain. And their grandma lived at the top of the mountain. And they lived at the base of the mountain. And when you're at the bottom of the mountain, she said that you kind of like really had to hike up to get to the top of the mountain. And when you would get up to the top, that was where her grandma lived and had a garden that her family tended. So she said that when their family would walk up this mountain, they frequently had to take breaks because it was that difficult to go up. So one day, her whole family, you know, her mom, her dad, she was the eldest of her siblings. I know it was one of my aunts, and then I think there were one or two of her other siblings that were born by then um, walking up with her. So they all went up to the top of the mountain, and her mom and dad were tending to the garden. And my nan and my aunt were outside playing with their siblings. And they saw this creature start to run up the mountain, like run. And it was a very difficult mountain to even get up. And it was a creature running up the mountain. And they both told me like their sides of the story and they line up the same. They both said it was like a human-like figure and it appeared to be wearing sheepskin clothing. And just the fact that it was running so quickly up this mountain So they got really scared. Their car was unlocked or something. And so my Nan took them into the car and like waited, you know, while it was there. And what happened was the creature ran into her grandma's house. So it's like my great, great grandma. Um, It ran into the house and there were two entrances to the house in the front and the back. And it ran into the house and it eventually ran out the other side of the house. So the creature eventually left. And when they went into the grandma's house, the grandma was not there at the time. They don't remember where she was at the time, but she was not at the house, but their parents were tending to the garden, so they were there. But when they went into the house later, their dad thought that maybe her grandma had been robbed because the whole house was turned upside down. But no, it hadn't been robbed. Um, It was the creature that had went in there and turned it upside down. So um, I hope you can use this on the podcast. All right, bye.
0: Thanks, caller. Now that is an Appalachian story if I've ever heard one. and I love it. Now, as for the beast itself, it's not hard to draw a connection to one of cryptozoology's strangest subjects. A creature said to don white, woolly fur, horns, and a pair of massive feet. Of course, I'm referring to the Appalachian Sheep Squatch. Along much of the eastern
2: U.S. are the dark inland forests of Appalachia. On its western edge within Breckenridge County, Kentucky, the hills are thick with rumors about a bizarre mutant beast, a crossover between mutton and man, a giant sheep that's gone savage. That something is a creature that's known to locals as sheep's watch. The legend may have started long ago. Sheep herders immigrating to Appalachia from Britain Bringing stories of demons wearing sheep hides and horns. But to this very day,
0: the belief remains in force. That info is courtesy of the series Monsters and Mysteries in America. And who really knows what ransacked Granny's house that day? Maybe it was a woolly monster. Maybe it was a drifter with a wool blanket. Either way, we truly appreciate our caller sharing and preserving her grandmother's story. Now, if you have a true paranormal tale to tell, please call her hotline at 1 888 608 That's 1 888 608 6444. If you're out of the country, you can email me a voice file at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now this next entry takes us to the state of Maryland, where Dave is waiting with a story. Hey,
3: how's it going? This is a story from, I think about five, six years ago. Uh, My name is Gray. I come from Silver Spring, Maryland, and this is probably one of the few actual paranormal events that happened in my life. So me and a buddy were hanging out in my roommate's apartment complex. I was actually staying with a couple friends, temporarily, I was in between houses. The actual owners of the apartment weren't there. It was just me and a buddy hanging out. We ordered a pizza, and I remember everything was cool. We were just chilling out, and I started feeling really nervous. I remember this—it was out of character because you know everybody gets anxiety, but I remember just feeling really, really nervous for some reason. And we were kind of hanging out in uh, the main room or the living room, whatever you call it. And I remember feeling so nervous in the span of hanging out. We were we were probably there for about an hour. I, I asked my buddy, I was like. I was like, hey, like, do you feel like something is wrong? And he he was basically like, no, like, everything feels fine. And I just remember my anxiety just kept going up and up. And I started checking the the gas stove because I felt something was wrong. So I was checking the burners, making sure the gas wasn't on. I was making sure the doors were locked. So me and my buddy were just sitting there. And suddenly I feel this weird instinct to walk into the main bedroom. And as I opened the door there was some kind of presence that was in the room that immediately shot shivers down my back and, and my friends. And there was a presence on the bed. We didn't see anything, which is like super weird to say. It's it's hard to explain. It was just mainly a feeling. And that feeling after opening the door and feeling the presence on the bed, it was, I don't know how, how else to explain it other than just pure evil. But anyways, the hairs on the back of our necks immediately stood up and we both jolted out of the apartment. We ran outside, Like I'm not even kidding, and we didn't even look at each other, we didn't even talk, but this presence was there, and I remember just without shoes on, we were both bare feet, we just went shooting outside, and it was snowing, I remember it was snowing outside, and we're just standing there barefoot in the snow, kind of shaking, like what the hell was that? And to be honest, I remember the first thing I did was try to put it out of my mind, I was like, I don't know what just happened there, like that was weird, looking my friend, I was like, I started chuckling. I was like, that was weird, wasn't it? Like, what, what the hell was that? And he he kind of looked at me and was like, I think that was something something else, you know, something supernatural. And I was kind of like, no, 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 no. But like, after kind of like <laughs> looking back on it, definitely something out of this world. I know it sounds weird, but there's not a lot of details, but there was something in that room and it sent us both immediately running out of the house. I remember we were both shaking. It's kind of weird because it's not an old... Apartment complex. It's pretty, pretty recently built. I, I think it was built in the early 2000s. Like, I know with ghost stories, there's usually some kind of history to the place or something like that, but I don't know. Just super bizarre experience. But yeah, it was just uh, my one weird experience, and I thought I should share it. Hope you're doing good and enjoy the podcast. Take care.
0: Thanks, Dave. Thinking skeptically here. I wonder if you and your friend may have been a victim of high EMF levels or possibly a gas leak. Now, EMF stands for electromagnetic field, and it's almost exactly what it sounds like. It's a field surrounding many of our electronics. Our phones give it off, our computers give it off, and bad wiring in a house can also give off EMFs. Now, either way, exposure to both can lead to confusion irritation, dizziness, and in some cases, paranoia, fear, and hallucination. Now, of course, if Dave and his friend went back inside, they likely would have continued experiencing these ill effects. So if those effects were only felt that once, then, as Dave's friend posited, it could have been something else. Something supernatural. Thanks again, Dave, for sending in the entry. Now, folks, this next one takes us to the state of Texas. The following was submitted anonymously.
4: Hey there. New listener, but getting through several seasons and had an experience from about 2005. I thought I would share this happened in East Texas. It was, you know, me and two of my friends. We were teenagers at the time, and outside... Again, East Texas, about 9 p.m. in the summer. It's dark, but clear skies, and there's not a lot of light pollution out there because, you know, houses are literally miles apart. And we went outside, and we're laying on the trampoline, just something we did a lot. (laughs) And we were just looking up because it was a clear night, and all of a sudden we see what looks like a satellite, and then it kind of starts zigzagging in a fashion that was... (laughs) still kind of unexplainable to this day it went back and forth kind of looked like it bounced between some, some stars and then it stopped as we pointed at it and then it was really small I mean it looked like a satellite it wasn't like a big glowing orb or anything but we pointed it out all of us were able to look at it, it stopped moving and then it just dipped off it disappeared like in you know the amount of time we've been watching it uh, you know in less than half of that time it was gone we all got freaked out <laughs> went back inside and uh, didn't say anything because my friend's family was super religious and it would have not gone over very well and so we just didn't talk about it until like two or three days later I, you know, I share it now because I think it, it sounds a lot like maybe the tic-tac and how that moves around but it was really high up but it could have been something else but either way it, it freaked us teenagers out Anyway, hope this
0: is helpful. Thank you, caller. Now, this sort of activity is reported a lot, believe it or not. And believe it or not, some skeptics claim that there's actually no movement of the object at all. But instead, it's your eyes struggling to focus the contrasted light, making it appear to bounce around as your eyes struggles to focus. And in some cases, that might be exactly what's going on. But in this case... It seems our caller had a better look. Good enough to compare it to a well-known UFO encounter. Speaking of that, in case you've been living under a rock or in outer space, the Tic Tac UFO she mentioned is in reference to a UFO sighting pilots from the USS Nimitz captured on camera in 2004. It's one of those now infamous videos that essentially forced the US government to admit that something unknown is sharing our airspace. So maybe that's exactly what our caller witnessed that evening. Another of these Tic Tac UFOs. Or maybe her eyes were playing tricks on her. Either way, I hope she takes solace in knowing that she's not alone. Thanks again, caller, for sharing your entry. Now of all the categories I receive calls for, one of the ones that surprises me with sheer volume are the doppelganger submissions. So here, with one of the more haunting of them, is our mystery caller from the state of Tennessee.
3: Hey, Derek. This took place in 1984. I was six years old in southeast Memphis. My dad, uh, in the fall and winter, would wear the... These uh, like three-button matching pajamas with the, uh, the the pants and the the long-sleeve shirt that matched, and they were always white or off-white. He had two or three pairs of them for the winter. And so one night, I woke up and looked out of my bedroom door into the entry hall of our house, and it had two windows. They were thirty inches wide by seventy inches tall. So he always would would walk the house and look out the windows. He was kind of a security freak. So it wasn't uncommon for me to wake up and see him in the entry hall looking at the front of the house out the windows out of the blind. So uh, I, being like any other six-year-old, wanted to be like my dad. So I hopped out of bed quietly as you please, and walked to the entry hall onto the Spanish marble tile and stood next to him and turned and raised up the one-inch aluminum blind and looked towards the street and I didn't see anything. It's pretty dark. Um, in the house and outside. We didn't have streetlights at that time. So I didn't see anything particularly interesting. So I dropped the blind that I was looking out and uh, I turned to the left and he was gone. There was nothing there anymore. So I took another step forward. This is the entry hall and I turned around and it, you know, the entry hall opens up into the living room or den area, depending upon, you know, what part of the country you are. But I I turned and looked to the open den, and about 15 to 20 feet away, there was what I thought was my father again. You know, it was just this white, full-bodied figure, and I kind of looked confused, and I probably turned my head like a confused dog, and as I looked at him, you couldn't really see that it was him because it was so dark, but it was just a figure, and it gradually over the course of two or three seconds faded into nothing didn't move it just disappeared vanished i kind of blinked a couple times and uh ran back towards my room made the corner down the long hallway to my parents bedroom and once i got in i noticed in the darkness my father and mother were there fast asleep in their bed under the covers so uh i did what pretty much i think any kid at that age would do went down to their feet and jumped over their feet weaseled my way up between them and got in the covers and I got between them and didn't move until the next morning. I've only told three or four people this story. I'm in my early 40s now. I learned early on when I would tell this story that people would kind of look at you and go, huh, you know, with a cynical viewpoint. So I've never really told many people, but I really appreciate your podcast and what you do giving people like me who have a you know one story or maybe one or two stories you know we're believers for a reason we've seen something and uh you know growing up in that house we were the first owners it was built in the early 80s Um, i don't know what went wrong or you know if somebody killed during the construction or um it sat on some weird land but you know i was always uneasy that was always in the back of my mind some people talk about you know i forgot about the story i never forgot about it even up through you know, my senior year of high school, when I was about to leave, you know, I was always, you know, a bit uneasy, especially at night, if I was by myself in the house, just because I, I knew it, it was in the back pocket of any situation I was in. And so um, I really appreciate what you do. I really enjoy the podcast. My kids get a kick out of uh, when you come on paranormal caught on camera well, for your little blurbs. They always, they're six and seven. They always like to point at the and say that's the guy you listen to on your podcast, and so they get a kick out of it. On that note, if you would just tell Susan Slaughter some random dude from East Memphis says hello, or hello. So uh, keep it up, man. I really enjoy it. Thanks for uh, thanks for your time. Good
0: lord. We've all been to the store and accidentally said something odd to a stranger, thinking them to be someone else. I can't tell you the number of times I've held something up to Sarah, only to realize I'm talking to a complete stranger. A stranger that vaguely looks like my wife. At least in my periphery. Okay, maybe I'm the only one. Well, when I do it, I swear my fight-or-flight reflex is triggered. It's that off-putting to be duped by something that you think is an automatic. I thought for sure that was my wife I was talking to until they made eye contact now imagine how our caller must have felt the poor guy thought he was standing next to his father only to find out that not only was it not him but it likely wasn't even human now that is nightmarish stuff caller so thank you again for sharing your entry now folks summer is right around the corner So make sure you're stocked up on all your Monsters Among Us merchandise needs. T-shirts, hats, totes, drawstring bags, and much, much more can be picked up over in our shop at MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com forward slash shop. Now, who's ready for his strange lighthouse experience? Blair from Idaho. Give him your best.
5: Hi, Derek. My name's Blair. I'm from Idaho, but the story I'm calling about took place in Michigan last week. I went back there to spend some time with my mom and sister, and we were touring some lighthouses along Lake Superior that we would never gotten to see. My mom's a big lighthouse fan, so we've been to most of them throughout the state of my life. And we go to Crisp Point Lighthouse, which is hard to get to because the road is terrible, but we get back there, and we go to climb the lighthouse because you're allowed to. And I have climbed a bunch of them. I'm not scared of height. And it was a beautiful day. So we're climbing it. And about the the higher we get, I have this anxiety just building in my chest, like this fear that I've never felt in a lighthouse. And halfway up, I just, I can't. I stop and I have to leave. And uh, as I'm leaving, my mom and sister keep climbing. And as I'm leaving, I swore that I heard somebody behind me on the stairs my mom and sister got to the top and i was leaving and i swear there was someone just behind me but there was nobody there i left the building i saw nothing and after i left i felt so much better i looked to see if there were any known hauntings there but i couldn't find any stories about that particular lighthouse um but yeah that's it thanks i love the show and uh i look forward to hearing more stories
0: thank you blair now, I imagine there's a few of you out there, geographically challenged listeners, that hear the words lighthouse in Michigan and instantly get confused. Well, believe it or not, thanks to the state being nearly surrounded by the Great Lakes, Michigan has more lighthouses than any other state. And even though Blair couldn't find any paranormal history on the Crisp Point Lighthouse, it seems haunted lighthouses in general are exactly Michigan's thing.
6: The Great Lakes are known to get angry on occasion. Standing tall next to many ports of call.
1: We have more lighthouses in Michigan than any other state.
6: Big beacons have lent their light.
1: Over 120.
6: Providing direction and pointing to safe haven for the ships and boats who need it.
1: The buildings are there. But it's the people who kept them going.
6: Many of the keepers spent decades doing it.
1: Some died during lighthouse service.
6: That's why there are some who believe there are lights inside. These things are real. That never went out.
1: They're simply keepers who I think are so passionate about what they did as a lighthouse keeper and are so dedicated even in the afterlife to their lights that they just hang around.
6: Hauntings are rumored to be happening at lighthouses around the state, from Marquette to Whitehall, Saginaw to South Haven.
0: Not that clip courtesy of WZZM, ABC News 13 out of Grand Rapids. And Blair is not alone in her failure to find a supernatural connection to the building. I searched and failed myself. But I did manage to find some info that would have at least caused some dread at one point. Due to coastal erosion, the lighthouse was literally months away from collapse. The water had risen high enough to undercut and destroy the adjoining lightkeeper's house back in 1996. Back then, the engineers gave the structure only a few years to survive. Now luckily for both the Crisp Point Lighthouse and visitors alike, a conservation team went into action and saved the lighthouse. If that story interests you, I've linked to a short 1997 documentary about the rescue of the lighthouse. So go check that out. And thanks again, Blair, for sharing the entry. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. A lot of us listening tonight would drop everything to help someone we care about. We'll go out of our way for others. But how often do we give ourselves that same treatment? This month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter. And therapy is a great way to make sure you show up for yourself. I can personally say that therapy gave me the valuable tools needed to help me deal with difficult emotions in a healthier, more constructive way. Rather than pushing them down only to find them boiling over at a later date. And I really believe that therapy can help you too, no matter what you may be struggling with. Now, BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Monsters Among Us listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Monsters Among Us for 10% off your first month. No as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to the unlocked episode.
7: Hey, Derek. Uh, My name is Kaylee. I am calling from Germany, but my stories happened in Tennessee. My friends and family uh, have always called me like sensitive or an empath or something like that, but it's not something I embrace or try to you know hone in on my skills or anything like that but i have always been subject to i guess seeing things or feeling things i have a lot of little short stories so i guess today's call i'm just going to tell a couple from whenever i was a little kid whenever i was seven my mom passed away from breast cancer Uh, shortly after her funeral i and my cousin were out in the uh Driveway, running our scooters, and we had a paved driveway and a big three-car garage up at the top of the driveway. I had just done a lap, came back, went to go into the uh, garage to turn around. As I go in the garage, I saw my mom. You know, when she passed away, she was in her 30s. She was, I think, 35. And whenever I saw her, she she looked like she was, you know, in her mid 20s. She was wearing a white dress. She was beautiful. She didn't say anything. She just looked at me. And I, of course, I was scared. <laughs> and so I you know, ran out and I went and told my dad and stuff. And you know, he didn't believe me. But I know when I saw, I know it was my mom. And I know she was there to say goodbye. Another instance happened when I was at my aunt's house. My aunt's husband, so my uncle, passed away before I was born, uh, about a year before I was born. So I never met him. She doesn't have any photos of him or anything like that up in the house just because she's that kind of person. She doesn't, you know, like to be reminded and stuff. So one day, I was sitting in her house. I was probably like 12, maybe. And all of a sudden, I smelled cigarette smoke. At the time, she wasn't smoking. Uh, She had quit. So I I was really confused, and I looked up, and in the middle of the living room was her old couch. It was a couch she didn't have anymore, but it was like from the 90s. And sitting on that couch was A man dressed in a blue button-up work shirt, blue jeans. He was laid back on the couch, had one arm up on the back of the couch, holding a cigarette. Just sitting there, plain as day. And it lasted for, you know, maybe five seconds or so, and I blinked and it was gone. And I went and told my aunt, and she basically was just in shock, because from what I described, I described her husband to a T, you know, down to the, the work clothes that he wore every day. Other than that, you know, being young, telling weird stories, <laughs> um, I used to see what I call, I don't know, they look like holographic or like oil slick people. They didn't have any features. They just walked in my bedroom, through my room, into the bathroom and disappeared. And they would just go in a line. And this was every night. I would see them. I wasn't scared. I would just, they were just like a constant to me. I don't know if they're like interdimensional or what they were, but Yeah, they were just kind of iridescent and didn't have faces or anything, and they didn't pay me any attention. They just walked through and walked away. So, anyways, there's three of my weird stories. I will call back with more. Thanks again. Thank
0: you, Kaylee. Now, I can't imagine how difficult it would be to see the apparition of a recently lost loved one. I'm sorry that that happened. But as someone that's two lost loved ones, maybe it's more comforting than one might imagine now the other two stories the ghost uncle and the oil slick people well those are enough to make me at least question if your friends and family are right maybe Kaylee maybe you do have some sort of gift thank you again for sharing it with us now folks I dropped a brand new patreon episode Monsters Among Us Beyond number 57 where I go through the Patreon mailbag and discuss stories ranging from whistling ghosts, were-deer and more mystery booms I also covered an amazing story about a black triangle UFO over my former home city of Columbus, Ohio So hit up patreon.com forward slash podcast to check that and 56 others out for only $4 a month that's patreon.com forward slash monsters among us podcast. And speaking of Columbus, that's where our next caller hails from. Luke, go ahead and share your tale.
6: Hey, Derek. My name is Luke, and I am from Columbus, Ohio. My story takes place probably around 2012. I used to drive a lot for work and had to take a lot of back roads through the country and even though columbus is very populated um it's completely surrounded by farm country and farmland and everything like that so i was actually driving back from work on the other side of the state one night about two hours away from where i live and had taken back roads rather than freeways And I get to this one area that I was actually familiar with. I grew up about 30 minutes away from it. It is Sinnerburg, Ohio. And um, it's very rural, very farm country, lots of, um, you know, twisty, windy backcountry roads. I would say it was probably about 9 or 10 at night. And I was driving, and as I come around this corner, I see this red light that looked like it was part of maybe one of those electrical boxes that you see on the side of the road uh, sometimes. And I didn't think anything of it as I came around the corner and then I kept going. But as I kept going, I looked in my side view mirror because I saw some movement, which could have been an animal in the field or anything like that. And it was this red light that continued to follow my car for probably the next five to six miles down this road, the weird part about it was is that I wouldn't have thought twice about the red light being in my rearview mirror if I was on a straight road, but the road that I was on was extremely curvy. When you went around curves, there's trees that blocked the way, and you wouldn't be able to see that light after so long, but this light literally just continued to follow me, and it looked like it was probably... 20 feet from my car just off to the passenger side and I could see it in my rear view mirror and my side view mirror the whole time and I kept looking back and I could just see it out the window. I had no idea what it was it stayed at pace with the car. Uh, I sped up because I thought oh you know I'm sh- I want to get around this curve and I want this light to go away because it was kind of freaking me out a little bit and it wouldn't go away. It wasn't until I got, a more populated area where there were lights and things like that, that the light just disappeared. That is one of many weird occurrences that I've had in my lifetime. The irony is is that my father was a bartender in Point Pleasant, West Virginia in the mid-70s, and he would always tell me these stories about guys coming into the bar to talk about the Mothman and you know the red eyes that followed them in their car in this case it to me looked like just one red orb that was following me but it reminded me very much of those stories that he used to tell me of guys coming into the bar talking about the mothman uh, which piqued my interest and curiosity ironically i have to drive still for work quite a bit and drive through Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And it is one of those places that I hate driving at night. I'm extremely uncomfortable. And as soon as I hit the bridge from Ohio into West Virginia, I just get this weird feeling of unease. And if you've ever been through that area, it's just kind of a weird area right before you get to Point Pleasant. There's nothing but some stoplights and then you're there. So anyway, that's my story for this one, at least. I thought that it was interesting, and it's something that has just kind of laid in my mind over and over again every time I drive through that area.
0: Thanks, Luke. Now putting my quote-unquote logical hat on again, I can't help but wonder if this isn't some sort of signaling light. Maybe a biker with a red headlight or taillight or even one of those funky lights you wear on your forehead. Or maybe it's a motorcycle with something strange over the headlight. A red t-shirt. Some cellophane. Now, red lights are often used to preserve night vision, allowing the user to adjust between light and no light easily, without suffering that long adjustment period. Now, of course, only Luke knows the speed of this mystery object, and the speed that he was traveling. And only he would know the possibility of either those theories working as well. Now, real quick, Luke, if I have your attention, you also called in another story regarding a wolf in your house. If you don't mind, please resubmit that one. The call quality was really bad for some reason, rendering the call unplayable. But from what I could gather, it was a pretty good entry. Thanks again for sharing the story. Now our next entry of the evening puts us in Alabama. Colin, please share your story.
8: Hello, my name is Colin. I am from a little town southwest of Huntsville, Alabama. I was raised on the tip of the Bankhead National Forest most of my life. And I have two stories today. Um... The first one it is a reoccurring thing that's happened my entire life since I was a, a young one. My house, my family's house that I was raised in, is a converted shotgun-style house. Um, with the entry used to be to the very far end of the right, which is where my bedroom was. But it was converted after my parents bought it, and they closed off that end, made an official entryway in the center of the house with a porch and stuff like that. But the reason why I bring up the whole shotgun style house is because of the way it's laid out. It's an open floor plan throughout most of it. If you enter through the front door, to the left is the kitchen, to the right is the living room, and then right by the front door is two large open area rooms. But if you look to the right past the living room, that goes to my room. And I distinctly remember growing up, if you were in my room and you opened up the door, you could see all the way to the other end of the house into the kitchen. Well, funnily enough, all my life, I've seen things. I've been very, I wouldn't say fortunate, but I've been very, I guess, blessed to be able to see and hear and experience many different things in the supernatural. Uh, I'm super open-minded, so I've kept my mind open and allowed things to happen and not really scared them away. But I specifically remember as a young one, and this followed me around actually, is there was many times when I would go to the kitchen, uh, any time of the day, could be lunchtime, could be in the evening, whatever. And I'd go to the kitchen, and I remember I'd look down throughout the rest of my house, back to my room, and there were always these little shadow figures, about three three foot tall. They were always dancing around in my room. And when I would look at them, they would notice me, and then they would dart off back into my closet. I thought that was very interesting, and there's many other things that happened in this house, but I'll save that for later. But the second story that I want to tell you is, uh, as I was growing up into my teenage years, I began to allow myself to be open to the possibility of more than what I had been taught when regarding religion and spirituality and things. So I had been reading this book about opening up my third eye and allowing my gifts to be increased in things. And I took a trip with one of my best friends down to Mobile, Alabama, and we were just exploring the whole the whole city, just walking around, enjoying the sights and sounds and everything. And I remember I had uh, kind of let myself be more spiritually awakened and feeling the energies and stuff. And I remember we went to this coffee shop that had this really weird vibe to it. Like it was a really cool pirate theme, things like that, but it was weird in the sense of it just felt dark. Well, while we're in there, my friend was ordering some coffee. I I went to the back to the bathroom and I remember walking through the doorway into the back room and I immediately felt this heaviness. So I went to the bathroom and I was doing my business, whatnot. But I remember I had specifically said, okay, whatever is here, I command you to show yourself. And while I'm sitting there, this eight and a half foot tall figure manifested itself in front of me and it didn't scare me, but it did what I wanted it. So then I told, to go away and I, uh, <laughs> I finished up. But I appreciate you listening to my story, and I hope you all have a great evening, and thank you again.
0: Thanks, Colin. Welp, let's add tiny shadow entities to our long list of nighttime visitors to children's bedrooms. That list is beginning to get as long as it is weird. Monkeys, wolves, dinosaurs. Somehow, tiny shadow entities seem to fit right in. So we appreciate the oddness, Colin. Thank you for calling in. And that brings us to tonight's closer. And I certainly don't mind telling you that it's a strange one. Michelle from New Jersey. The mic is yours.
9: My name is Michelle, and I'm calling from New Jersey. If it sounds like I'm reading when I tell my story, it's because I had to write some stuff down because I'm known kind of amongst my friends to be a terrible storyteller. Anyway, my story happened around 1998 when I was about 12 years old. There was a new trail that opened up across the street from my friend's aunt's house in Long Valley, New Jersey, called the Columbia Trail. Uh, The trail had been an abandoned railroad for a long time before it was opened as a park. So my aunt's friend wanted to check it out and brought us, me and my friend and her, on a bike ride. It was a beautiful day. I don't remember what time of year, but probably like fall or spring. Then this happened maybe the middle of the day, like after lunchtime. So we were riding our bikes. It's like a really long trail, like 60 miles long. Uh, I think we were on our way coming back towards her house, but still like a few miles away. Um, we were all having a great time. We were enjoying the woods and, like, the river that runs parallel to the trail. Um, I was riding kind of ahead of my friend, not too far enough where I could see her if I turned around and, like, trailed straight. streets. So at one point, though, I turned around a corner and I saw this kid, maybe about my age or a little younger than me. It's hard to tell at that age, especially between boys and girls, but he was about 12-ish. And he was standing next to the trail in some tall grass that was maybe like a foot high it was strange that he'd be standing on the side of the trail because the trail is like a carriage road and it was like it's like really wide like a lot of people can comfortably pass each other so there wouldn't really be a reason to stand off to the side and on top of that to my right the trail dipped down like 15 feet to a river and then on my left the woods um went up like uh, like a hill like a mountain so there was only about, like, a at most three feet wide area, like, between the where the hill started and the trail started for him to be standing. So what was really weird about the kid, besides standing off of the trail, was that he was staring just blankly ahead, not moving, like, at all. Not even a... nothing. <laughs> and he seemed to be lightly covered in dust, is the best way I can describe it he was standing up straight with his arms loosely to the side not seeming to lean in any direction not like he was resting really mm-hmm. and i remember him having like dark maybe sort of shaggy messy hair and a dark t-shirt and jeans and they're, they're like blue jeans um and i say he looked dusty because i could tell his hair and shirt were black or a dark color but there was like a grayish white cast over them i don't know how to describe it almost like um if, Someone put, like, dry shampoo in their hair and, like, brushed most of it out but didn't do the best job. That's, like, the only thing I can... thing to relate it to. And his skin looked a little bit... a little paler than, like, usual for a person just being out. I don't know. And I didn't notice anyone else around him or, or around in the general area, like, a friend or family member, which I would be... which would be normal for a kid about that age on a trail like that. So, anyway, when I was riding my bike, I, and I turned the corner. I see this weird kid. I lifted my hand, and I smiled, and I said hi, and there was absolutely no response. No movement, no acknowledgement, nothing. So I just rode past him, kind of confused, but I just assumed I he was a weird kid. So about 30 seconds to a minute after passing him, my friend comes, like, racing from behind me. She looks really exasperated, and she's like, did you see that kid back there? I'm like yeah he seemed really weird and she's like when I turned around he was gone and I I mean I made sure to clarify with her like did you turn around after like being far enough away where you couldn't see him anymore or something she's like no I immediately turned around because I thought he looked weird and he was gone yeah so my friend has like corroborated that story with me and like as as Told me the same story decades later. She says exactly the same thing that she said back then. Like it hasn't changed. And I had looked up the area to try and see if there had maybe been a car accident nearby in recent years, or uh, something related to the train that used to go through there, or a house, like some kid like passing away. I I looked. I couldn't find anything. So I I don't know. Like I couldn't find anything that would like suggest it was a ghost. I I don't know. Um, The only thing that I did find, though, was that people have reported seeing, like, ghost lights, like, orbs and things like that in the area. And that is, like, the only paranormal thing I could find in the area. So that's it. That's my story. Thank you so much for the show. It's awesome. I think it's really valuable in a lot of ways. So keep it
4: up. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye.
0: Thanks, Michelle. Now, if you don't mind, let's explore this little mystery. Now, my first thought, and it almost sounds like Michelle's as well, was that this boy was or is some sort of spirit. The ghost of a young man killed somewhere in that area. But where's the imagination in that? Well, if I allow myself to hypothesize, my mind migrates toward the fact that this encounter took place in the state of New Jersey. Now, New Jersey is infamous for a swatch of sandy, pine covered soil known as the Pine Barrens. The Pine Barrens have been infamous for a long time. It's a place of mystery and dread. Not only that, but it's said to be the home of the treacherous Jersey Devil as well. But also to rogue settlements, descendants of outlaws, bandits, deserters, and outsiders. All have reportedly taken up residence deep inside the Barrens at some point. And some current day residents of New Jersey suggest that descendants of those outcasts still survive in the Barrens today, hidden in the deepest, darkest parts of the region. These wild folk only come out at night to scavenge for food and supplies. Otherwise, they're cut off from society. Well, ours, at least. So I wonder, could this boy have been part of that group, perhaps caught off guard by the girls and their bicycles? Maybe he was taught to hold perfectly still if he senses that he's in danger. That certainly could explain why he didn't move when the girls spotted him. And if he spent his entire life in the woods, actively attempting to avoid detection, he should be a fairly proficient woodsman. And perhaps that fact is how he managed to, quote-unquote, disappear in an instant. And of course, living in the forest, relying on a campfire for warmth, food, and survival, I imagine ash is an everyday part of life. Could that be the mystery substance Michelle reported seeing? And those ghost lights or floating orbs that she mentioned doesn't take much of an imagination to assume that those could be oil lanterns or even torches carried by these feral folk. Now you might be saying to yourself, a population of wild humans living undetected in America's wilderness, that's too much of a stretch for me. But what if I told you that people suspect the exact same thing in other parts of the country.
2: The Appalachian Mountain Range runs along the eastern United States. Toward its southern end is the sub-range known as the Great Smoky Mountains. Beneath the mist is a wild place, over 500,000 acres, much of it largely unexplored, and all of it uninhabited. Or at least, it's supposed to be. Hundreds of witnesses have come forward with reports The descriptions are eerily similar, human-like, but with malformed facial features. Long matted hair, no clothes, covered in filth, a putrid smell. Some believe the sightings can be attributed to recluses who reverted to a primitive state. Others believe the creatures are another breed entirely, with a hunger for raw flesh. Whatever they are, they've become known as feral people and there are those who believe that they could be responsible for hikers going missing in these woods.
0: Now that one was from season four of Expedition X. And as Josh Gates mentioned, the park is known for its disappearances. Some high profile missing persons cases, such as Dennis Martin's from 1969, make it appear as though the victims simply vanish in thin air. Now the idea of wild, cannibalistic humans being responsible for even one disappearance is chilling, let alone over 100, which is best I could find, the Smokies currently have. But then reality comes crashing down, and you allow those seeds of doubt to sow in the wrinkles of your brain. The Great Smoky Mountain National Park has tens of millions of visitors a year. There's no way cannibalistic monsters could survive in half a million square acres undetected well author steve stockton says otherwise in this excerpt from his book national park mysteries and disappearances volume one the great smoky mountains national park
10: there are plenty of places truly an almost innumerable amount of places that a person or even a group of persons could hide out for an indefinite amount of time if you had the basic rough necessities food water shelter which are all in abundance here if you know what you're doing there would be no reason to ever leave these woods case in point eric robert rudolph also known as the olympic park bomber successfully hid out in the nantahala national forest which is a 533,000 acre expanse of wilderness in Western North Carolina and along the Appalachian Trail heading toward the Smokies. Rudolph managed to elude the FBI for five years, five years, and was only caught in 2003 because he left the forest and was rummaging through a trash dumpster in Murphy, North Carolina, outside a grocery store where he was spotted by a rookie police officer who recognized him from the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Now, if this man with only what appears to be minimal survival skills managed five years, imagine the skill set of someone who has never left these woods in their entire lives.
0: Now, if a fugitive can do it, I shudder to imagine what a lifelong dweller of those mountains might be capable of. And I also feel terrible for anyone hiking listening to this very episode you might want to look behind you. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you have it in your heart, please leave us a rate and review wherever possible. Five stars, check marks, or hearts, or whatever, and a few nice words go a long way to help the show grow. Speaking of growth, you can also find us on social media. We have pages at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and a nice little Facebook group, if you're looking for a community. And finally, music from tonight's episode was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, eg Music, Carl Casey, at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Now, tonight's secret entry comes to us from a man that caused quite a stir back in season 10 with his story about a car with three headlights that he encountered during some sort of time slip. Well, Ray from Missouri is back with an equally unsettling entry.
11: Hey, Derek. This is uh, Ray from Missouri. Uh, back in season 10, episode 8, you played a story I had about a shift basically moving from one dimension to another parallel universe type thing this happens to me every once in a while and i've always figured that if it happens to me it must happen to other people as well well two months ago let's see that would have been in july of 2021 i was driving some friends up to michigan and so i was on the ring road in indianapolis or 65 i think it's the ring road up there. Anyway, it's the big ring road that goes around Indianapolis. And going through there at about 1130 at night. And I was driving a van. If you've ever driven that road at night, you know that's very much a truck road. It's a semi-road. And basically, if you're in a smaller vehicle, you just stay out of their way. So I'm uh, navigating this road, and I see a semi. He's over in the right-hand lane, and he's driving a little slower than the other trucks, which kind of caught my attention because no- they normally hold a pretty constant speed with the other vehicles. But something seemed off about the truck so as I rolled up onto him I was kind of watching see if maybe he was having some mechanical problems or something like that and I realized there was something really kind of really odd looking things about the truck first off there was no license plate on the trailer it was a box trailer no license plate no logos on the back the uh, taillight on the trailer instead of the normal type trailer taillights that it had. This was a solid bar light that went all the way across the width of the trailer. I'd say it's probably about five inches high. Went all the way across the back, illuminated all the way across. And I was looking at the trailer as I rolled up, I was trying to figure out what else was catching my attention. And then I realized what it was was the tires on the trailer. And you know on a semi trailer, they run duels, you know, two big tires that are bolted together to make a set. And they've got twin axles back right there. Well, this truck had the twin axles. But the tires, instead of being duels, it was a single tire about the same width as a set of duels. So you're talking one enormous tire that took over the width of the whole set of duels. It's like an enormous, almost like the old drag slicks that used to run on uh, dragsters. It's kind of how it looked in a way. The other thing about the tires were that, you know how the Sidewalls on a truck tire are pretty straight up and down, pretty vertical. They're a very stiff tire. Well these were more curved outwards and more of a balloon look. The actual look of them kind of reminded I know it sounds silly, but it's kind of reminded me of a cartoon, you know, the cartoon tires. Anyway, I come rolling up past this truck and you know traffic's moving, there's other big trucks around me, I can't linger. But as I'm passing by the truck I look up and there's a logo on the side of the truck. It looked kind of like you took the NATO Star and combined it with a Nike Swish. And it was just a white logo that's painted on the side of the trailer. The trailer itself was kind of a flake gray color. And as I come up toward the cab, the cab was a yellow truck, yellow semi. The twin axles on the back of the truck also had these big, balloon, super-wide tires on it, like the trailer did. I mean, just really odd tires, because, like I said, they were so wide and everything. Uh, but the thing that really got me was as I, and like I said, there's no lettering or anything on the side of the truck, you know, none of the normal identifiers that you see on the side of a semi. But as we drove up, I looked up and I saw the truck driver. This guy looked like he was in an absolute state of shock. I'd say the guy was probably late forties balding. He was sitting down so So I couldn't really get a height on him, but I'd guess to see it probably under six foot tall, wearing a t-shirt, uh, but his jaw was hanging open and he was rubbernecking like crazy. I mean, looking all over the place, all around him, like he just was absolutely lost and had no idea what was going on. Truck drivers are usually very stoic type people. Uh, they normally don't show a whole lot of emotion. They've seen a lot, they've been a lot of places. Well, this guy was obviously almost, like I said, almost shocked shock from what he was saying. Like, like I said, traffic was heavy. I, there was a lot of semi and stuff. I couldn't linger right where I was. So I ended up having to go ahead and pass him because he was moving slower. So anyway, I kept going. Uh, like I said, I couldn't slow down because of the heavy traffic and the heavy truck traffic. You don't play with those guys. You have, to, you have to keep moving, keep out of their way. And shortly thereafter, I had to take the exit off the ring road to get where we were going. But uh, I really suspect that this truck driver was probably from one of those parallel universes, one of those parallel dimensions, and he had shifted somehow into ours. Who knows, he may be calling your show in another dimension right now telling his story about driving through an Indianapolis that isn't. Unfortunately, the, my passengers, like I said, it was 11.30 at night, all my passengers were asleep. All, all my friends were asleep, so they didn't see the truck. But at home, I talked to a friend of mine who owns a trucking company, and I explained to him, just like I just did to you, and he just sat there and shook his head, and he says, no such tires like that exist. He said that he doesn't see how they would even be able to bear the load that you normally have in a semi-trailer. No, semi-tires are designed specifically for that job. And he said a balloon-sided tire like that probably wouldn't have a strength, at least in our dimension. But anyway, that's why he told me was that those tires don't exist. Anyway, I thought you would find this interesting. Real loving the show.
0: Keep up the good work, man. Well, I guess travel with Ray at your own risk. Thanks as always, sir. Yet another wild account. And as I listened through Ray's call, a thought popped into my head that, as an audience, you just might have an opinion on. Is it less credible that such wild events incurred in front of Ray more than once? Or does the fact that he's seen it twice mean that he's somehow connected, or at the very least is simply paying attention? Now, not to suggest Ray is untruthful here. To the contrary, I found his story convincing. But it is something that subconsciously influences how we process these calls. Nuances such as that help us determine whether we believe a call or not. And in this case, Ray's made for a perfect example. Now, regardless of that, it's amazing stuff, Ray. And I hope that that guy made it home, wherever the hell that is. So thank you again for taking the time to call in. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night.